0: Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloane here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell, you're listening to the Coaches Panel.
1: There are only a few players in the 2023 season that if you didn't have them at the start of the year and then run them through the vast majority of the year, if you didn't have them from the get go, You felt immediate pain in your side that only increased as each week went by. Tim English in 2023 delivered on his potential. He was one of the best scorers across all formats of the game. And now as we turn the corner to this coming 2024 season, AFL Fantasy Dream Team and Super Coach Community players are all asking one question, can he do it again? We're going to talk about Tim English and his fantasy footy prospects for this upcoming season on this episode of the 50 Most Relevant. Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. This series is all about having a daily conversation of players that I believe are relevant for our upcoming season. It's not just a spattering of players put together in no particular order. No, these are ranked out. And so to have Tim as highly as I do in the 50 most relevant clearly means I think he's one of the handful or two handful of most important players to consider for this season. Joining me on this, episode as he has not just throughout this preseason but for a number of years he's been a key member of the coaches panel and will continue to do so Kane talking about the best ruck of 2023 and the pondering of course is is he going to do it again for us
0: MJ what a season from Tim English last year that was absolutely incredible and as you flagged off the top he was that guy last year that flew out of the gates and had everyone scrambling to get him and if you were holding off, you were just praying if each week that maybe he'd come back to earth. But by six weeks in, he'd really done a lot of that damage, hadn't he? And people were going, well, now he's in that price bracket where I don't really know what to do. You know, it's going to have to reshape my whole side to get up to it. So to break out and to break out so early, they're often those guys that when you nail that starting pick, you are off to the races and you leave everyone in your wake trying to work out, what do I do with this guy? and. Fast forward to the end of the season, he did it. He kept it going. 118 in AF. That is an all-time season for any player, let alone a Ruckman. And then in Supercoach, to be nearly nudging 130, yeah, that's the type of thing that just separates you. And we did see that with him and Rowan Marshall being that clear one too. It's funny how we've had that in years past with Gorn and Grundy and a few other combinations of whether it was a Goldstein year or a Steph Martin year or even going back, a Sanderlands and a Cox. So it's funny how it does seem to be the separator in the ruck that you really have to get on the right to. And that's why I feel like this year it's super, super interesting because last time we chatted it was Gorn and we spoke about the five names that it feels like we've whittled down to. Been yep. Gorn, been Grundy, been Sherry, been Marshall and now been English. So where do you want to take this? Because I do feel like we're happy with that five But as I said, when you've only got two in the line and you usually don't have a great R3 as cover, it's one that we know if you get it right, you're away. And set and forget has worked in the past in that regard. And if it doesn't, if you get on the wrong one, it can be a real headache every single week.
1: It really can be. I agree. We're down to a choice of five rucks, in my opinion. Now, that might emerge differently as we start to see some match gameplay against other opposition, not just ourselves. We may see some injuries, but I agree. We are down to a five, and I want to get your take on that in a moment. You talk about this hot start to the year. Doesn't drop under 130 over the first six weeks in Supercoach. Doesn't drop under 110 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. And he presented potential value for us last year. There's no value in him in 2024. If we look just briefly over what he did for us last year, a 127.9 seasonal average in Supercoach, 20 tons last year, like enormous conversion rate of hundreds. And then of those, a huge conversion of them, 15 into 120 plus. So massive conversion rate for us over in that. A season high score of 173, a career high score of 204, puts him as one of the most expensive players in the game at $715,100. While in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, you're nearing $1.1 million in both those formats to secure his services. 15 tons last year, a 118.6 seasonal average, and a career high score of 158. 11 of those 15 AFL fantasy tons, 120 plus. So a 75% conversion rate of when he tons up, he's giving you in that captaincy area. Six over 143, over 150. And of the eight scores in AFL fantasy that weren't triple digits, seven of them were 90 plus. So he never let you down. Number one player in the game for points and for average while over in Supercoach, Those 15 tons, what, 20 tons, 15 or 120? Five over 140. That is lineup changing matchups when you get a VC or C on that. Two over 160, three under 100 all year, and nothing under 88. Ranked second in the league for points and for average. In fact, one of only two players last year that scored over 2,900 points. So incredible scoring season from him. Where did it come from, Kane? I think. People are going, we know what he did. Okay, where did it come from and how did he do it? Because once we understand that, we can then start to consider, is this sustainable for a new season now that we've got different options? So how, from your perspective, statistically and analytically, how did English pull such an incredible season off for us?
0: Well, I think MJ, the thing that jumped out immediately from the start of the season last year, just watching him, was how well he was covering the ground. And when you're in a bulldog side that likes to link up, especially under the roof at Marvel, his ability to find space and actually be a participant in moving that chain forward, he'd be in the back line, he'd be working on the wing, he'd be working in the forward line. So immediately the eye test, I think everyone thought, wow, this is impressive. The second thing that jumped out to me, again, with the eye, was how much more competitive he was in the ruck. He was actually getting his hands on the ball a lot more. And when you've got guys like Bontempelli and Liberatore in particular at your feet, If you can just give them even a 50-50, and in years past, it wasn't a 50-50. They were having to read the opposition ruckman. So for Tim to really grow in his body, and again, he surprised me. I thought he was one of those smaller rucks, maybe, you know, 202, 203 centimetres. He was actually 208, but it was because he was so slight when he first came into the competition. And now that he's built out, he can compete in the ruck. So when you take that to the numbers, that's where the jumps came. So his hitouts went from, you know, just under 24 a game up to 31. So immediately off the bat, we're nearly talking eight points a game. Off oh, Just bang. Put that into your fantasy scoring, let alone what it did in Supercoach with the hitouts to advantage and obviously the scoring chains that flow off that. But the thing that, that we love and the thing that jumps out massively is the marks went up by one to over six a game. The tackles went up by one and a half to over four a game. And yet he still was hitting the scoreboard at just under a goal a game. So we say if you can have 10 across tackles, marks, and goals, that's elite. And that's usually our midfielder's scoring build to get to 110. Mm. That's what English has got. And that's why he's so consistent. He's He's got over 65, 70 points just on that alone before you even get to his disposal. So you throw in his hitouts and those other things, he's at 70. Yeah, then wow. you couple in that he's nearly at 20 touches a game. And that's why you see this enormous average of 118. And being in the contest, throwing his body around the contested possession. So it is incredible how he's built this well rounded game. And it shows in his scoring. Again, you flagged the consistency of tons, the consistency of ceiling. Um, and he ends up being sort of matchup proof because if he gets that bigger ruck like a Jared Witts, yes, he's going to fall away in the hitouts he can expose him around the ground. If he gets that smaller sort of type, like a Grundy who's really inside the contest follow-up work, well, he can be more competitive in the ruck and around the ground aerially and help the team. So that's what just blew me away is he's probably the most well-rounded ruck in the game. He he doesn't lack on the ground. He doesn't lack in the air and he's not lacking in the ruck contest. So I, I couldn't be more impressed because I think we saw potential in years past And we weren't sure if he was ever going to make it, but um, it's apparent now that he's in that category. And he's at that perfect age as a Ruckman where you go, he's had enough experience, he's got the confidence now, and he's shown the scoring that he can do it week in and week out. I I couldn't be more impressed with him.
1: He's 26 years of age. So this is the beginnings of a Ruckman at their prime, whereas an AFL midfielder or a halfback or key position forward – they're in this prime for a year or two by this point in time. Tim is arguably just there. He He's such a good work rate right around the ground. His athleticism and endurance means that he can, as you mentioned, burn those other rocks if, if he's getting dominated at, At stoppage, he can impact around the ground. How many times, if you went back and watched some of those Bulldogs games, is he playing up as a link-up midfielder through marks and then hands off that handball to the running player of of a Daniel, a Dale, or a McRae, or last year, a, a Bailey Smith? How often is he getting deep in on the ground applying defensive pressure so if he's not getting that contested mark or that open mark he's laying ground pressure he's linking up with that outlet kick from those kick-ins and then as you mentioned so beautifully he's drifting forward with Rory Lobb able to pop in for 5 percent 10 percent 15 percent of a quarter or a game he's now such a damaging weapon up forward that with players like a Norton and a Yugel Hagen you can't put your best defender on him because those guys will burn you. So now he's arguably getting the second or third best tall and they're just isolating him for those overhead marks. So he reminds me of like a more rounded younger Brody Grundy because Grundy was great at so many things, but he wasn't great in aerial in the marks, probably not as impactful at hitouts as I think people wanted. And, and certainly forward ask any Melbourne fan didn't really offer much for you in that space. English is everything. He, he does not lack for one part of his game. And arguably, he's only just started his ascension.
0: Yeah, MJ, I think the marking is that other thing i probably missed earlier that jumps out, is that he's taking contested marks now. Like That's just something, especially in Supercoach, when you can go back and drift in defence and intercept and, and set up play, that's just huge points. We've seen those defenders that can do that. You know, Tom Barras almost doubling... Their fantasy to Supercoach scores some weeks just because they're so good at doing that. And um, that's what makes Ingers just so remarkable is, again, he's taken some time to build. Again, Grundy would obviously have him in those prime years on the ground being that extra mid. Of course. But when you balance it out across a game and then you extrapolate that across a season. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a AM member FDSE. It's just really hard to stop this guy being involved in the game. You couple that with a bulldog side that like flicking the ball around. And play at Marvel that can really help him with that running power and linking up. It's the perfect combination. He's just got everything in his team that that supports and helps him get the best out of himself. So again, the factor that's you know we've got to deal with now this year is that it's his price. He is at the top, top, top tier. I know we spoke about Gorn and the value he presents in a starting squad. You've spoken about the value that Sherry presents and mm-hmm. how much he can elevate his game being that lead Ruckman. Marshall's obviously sort of in the English tier in terms of coming off a career best year. And then we've got Grundy, new club, underpriced. How does that, how does that go? We haven't seen it. So what do you think strategically-wise when we're setting up our starting squad, how does that fit? And how does an English fit into potentially our starting team? Well,
1: I think that's the challenge is we've got, again, A consensus five that we believe, that's the core you can start with. Ultimately, you can pick your team and do whatever you like. The coaches panel is never about telling you what you must do, but certainly framing up and explaining up our perspectives and the narratives of how you could do certain things. So for me... And MJ,
0: sorry, before you go further, and if any season with the trades we've got, it is not crazy to say that teams may have all five in their side at one point in the season. That is the new age game we're in. There's yeah. there's avenues, and I'm sure you guys will talk about that in particular as we get really close to the start of the season. But with value being more important than ever and having more trades than ever, there is a pathway you might have two of those value guys in your starting squad. You might flip one for another to take advantage of a buy or a fixture, and then maybe in that back end just settle on the best two. So it's a fascinating year where literally – all of these five guys might have to be considered not just at a starting squad, but almost every four to five weeks, you might be considering, you know, making a move.
1: It's so interesting. You've got the two best rucks of last year that in many people's eyes, even just repeating that feels brilliant, but maybe not the wise allocation of funds. I'll hear that conversation. Then you've got the old time set and forget that both are now soul rucks and haven't been for three years in clubs, have shown their 120 guys in AFL fantasy and 130 guys in super coach and coming in with value, but they both do have an early buy. And then you've got Tristan Cherry, who is the breakout, Goldie's gone, nothing to stop him outside of a facial injury, but he's back, so it's fine. And you're just going pure value and you're running it. So I think your ruck structure partially is informed by what you're doing in your other 27 and 28 selections. Because if you're committing to someone like an English, it means that's probably your safety net of captaincy and vice captaincy for most weeks. We talked a little bit about the safety net and the value of a safety net approach with Cheeso on the episode around Marcus Fontanbelli. So you can go back and listen to that. It's absolutely a viable strategy and and it's not a value play it's a structural and strategic play to enable you to taste value in other positions. So don't just have to be 30 players, 30 value points. It's a way to play the game, but it's not the only way to play the game. But if you're into English, it affects what you do at M1 and M2. It structurally changes who and what you can do at R2 and how your defensive and forward line. So that's the beauty of Drafting, we always talk about when you and I talk in those Keeper Tier episodes that we do for our uh, Spotify subscribers that that pay in for that or our Patreons that pay in for it. We talk about every pick protects the next pick. Really, in salary caps, if you're spending big dollars on a player like an English, it is going to have a cascading impact about what the rest of your team looks like.
0: No, MJ, that's 100% true. And and just elaborating further on maybe why in the past set and forget Ruck has been such you know, an option that people feel really comfortable with and have had success with is that there's just so much more choice in the other lines. So if you lock away in English and you're really, really confident, now you can have a stab at maybe that extra mid-pricer in the midfield because you don't have another midfield premium. You know, you've got to allocate cash elsewhere. Whereas, say, for example, if you did take on a Bontempelli, well, you're not touching a Bontempelli in your team barring injury or suspension. And there's not as much flexibility in different avenues you can go down with the rucks. So I see why in the past people go, these rucks, they're going to get the job done. And now I can sort of watch and see in that first month and try to find that breakout player in the midfield, the back line, the forward line, where there's just so many more options than the ruck. So that's what English gives you. You can focus on finding those other guys that might make that jump to good enough, whether it's a top six or top eight. their particular line so that's where strategically it gets really fun and you can see why we just spend hours and hours and days and days on our side is you make one change buy structures changed Mm. okay what am i locking myself out of in that first month of the season which players can't i really get on or if i do what does it what does it mean if i do have to get rid of an english if you start slow and get on a sherry get on a grundy so this is the really fascinating thing is what number do you need English to do where you feel really comfortable with the selection and you can focus on the other positions in your team and start building the sides you want as we go throughout the year.
1: And that's why we go set and forget. I don't have to think about it. I want to think about this because of upside avenues and options and, and I'm just turning my brain off there. The challenge with set and forget this year is you could argue there's four set-and-forget premiums for us with a little bit of value in two. And arguably, there's a pathway where there's a smaller, more incremental value in an English and a Marshall based on how they trended through the year and really their first full season owning and living up to being that big dog ruck perspective. So is that a problem to go set-and-forget? No, especially if you don't feel like the separation is different too much. If you still think English is far and above the best ruck over everybody in the formats, okay, I'll actually hear that conversation. I can see a 120 AF year. I can see a 130 super coach year. Because as you mentioned through those stat lines earlier, they're not crazy. Those hit out numbers aren't crazy. Those um, possession rate isn't crazy. These are not career high, unsustainable, hard to repeat. These are a 26-year-old who was 25 for big chunks of last year, just building in. So to me, I, I see where someone goes, I think there's five points of upside safely. I go, I agree. But there are three key things before we even talk about our broader structures and combinations. I think there are three things we must discover and discuss on this episode. One, how does this rock line work with Rory lob? And the other reason I bring that up is the final game of the year. It's a small sample size. Lob got his best CBA split for the year with English. So in a moment, we want to address that. Two is the fact that how we allocate our dollars and how important it is to get that structural right. And then the third is that he has had an interrupted preseason with some migraine-related symptoms. Let's maybe go to the easiest of them all to kind of, maybe not knock out, but unpack. The lob combo, was that just a one-and-done narrative that we shouldn't read too much into a normative? Or to you, Kane, is there something that we need to be a little concerned about? Look, he scored okay in that game, English, by the way. It was okay. Yeah. But what's your thoughts on that game?
0: well, Well, that's what's so interesting, MJ, about that game in particular is, firstly, it wasn't a dead rubber. And I think that's something we've always had to learn in the fantasy community is what stuff we can take from the back end of the previous year and we can put into 2024 or the following year. Because in the past, we've seen some that we go, oh, my God, this guy flew home going at 90. He's priced at 70, and we're off to the races. And then other times we've seen, you know what? It was just the club trialling some different things. You know, guys went in for surgery. People were managed. They wanted just to have a look at someone. The interesting part is, one, Lob's not going anywhere. They brought him in. We know he's got a role to play because he can play ruck. He can play forward. They don't really want to expose a Sam Darcy at his point of the career to to the Ruckman, as he flagged 24, 25, usually 26, 27 is when you're hitting your straps there. So a Sam Darcy who's such a talent, you know, let's just let him develop before we start throwing him in there to the big, the big boys in the Ruck. But in a must-win game, the Dogs were trailing and they threw Lob in the Ruck in the second half and he turned the game and ended up running over the top of them. And, and Lob was... Terrific in there. Like, hmm. he scored 100 in both formats, 16 touches, 7 tackles, kicked 3 goals and had 15 hitouts. And the bulk of that scoring came in the second half. Now, English went forward. He still kicked to himself. Again, he had his normal sort of stat line, didn't he? You know, 18 touches, 5 marks, 23 hitouts, 2 goals, 10 contested. But he's still a really good player. But the fact that it worked... Hmm. And there's going to be other games, I think, where they go, we just got to make something happen. And English is competent up forward. So it's not like, you know, he can't function up there. He, he's a really good target. So I don't think it's something we'll see super often, but the fact that it worked and Lob is actually competent in there and he's a bit of a different sort of, obviously, play to English. It's something we have to be wary of. Again, English still scored fine.
1: Yeah.
0: But, when you're at that price point, MJ, if one of those games happens in the first five or six, you're probably feeling a bit sick about it. Especially if he does go, you know, a sub ton, or even worse, if it was a sixty or a seventy, just based on the matchup.
1: And based on matchups, we will get him at a cheaper price at some point in the year. We we saw some nineties aren't bad for our on-field output, but if you're playing the salary game of how a player is priced available to get. He will historically come in at a price point that is cheaper for you. It might be $20,000, $30,000, dollars 50000 in a Supercoach or a Dream Team. It might even slip out to $100,000 or more in AFL Fantasy due to the pricing of the magic number. To hold your value, you must outperform the average that you are priced at. Otherwise, we will see regression. So yes, he went 130 plus over his first six weeks in Supercoach last year, 110 plus in AFL Fantasy last year. But even then, if he holds that sort of scoring, he will hold his price point at best. And so can you get Tim English cheaper in the year? Undoubtedly. I don't think anyone would say that's the uh, conversation that's not there. It's possible, but it's very, very highly likely. But that's not the conversation. It's when he is at his cheapest price, can you get onto him? Can you make the points that you've lost And the dollars that you feel like you've saved in the season, can you make those two reconcile for you? Because can Cherry generate enough money for you? And the money you save, for example, allocate that to get you another mid-pricer off a cow or a mid-pricer up to a premium. Can you find yourself in a better position in that combination of selections? Because if you don't feel like you can, pick him away. Because I don't see a huge scoring Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm with you. I don't see Lob really making that move to impacting him. So yes, you will get him cheaper. But when that time comes, can you get him cheaper? If you're fading a Bontempelli for the same reason, can you also have generated enough money to get him at his cheapest point? Can you have generated the same money if you're scared about the buys and the tags for Dacos early? Can you also have him at the same point in time? Because all of a sudden, you've got these three early targets you're trying to get, and you're still looking for value in the season. You're still trying to get your cash cows off the ground. So you're not always trying to pay top dollar. This is where safety nets and structures and taking your medicine sometimes and losing a bit of money can be a viable approach.
0: Especially if one of them comes out of the gates, MJ does outperform. You know, we saw that with Dacos last year. We saw that with English. Now, Bontempele was the one that started slow comparatively to his average, and then he was away. So you're, you're exactly right, MJ. Again, you're going to be waiting for a low score. You're probably going to have two or three weeks to action it. Now, can you summon the, summon the currency to get up to where they're going to be, even if they do dip? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Has your mid-pricer timed up? Has your rookie topped out? Um, so that's the really, really tricky thing. Uh, the migraine and the concussion stuff, that's yeah. that's really tough, isn't it? Because people would have said injury-prone, uh, doesn't play every game until last year when he plays every game. Now, you've mentioned that a million times, not just in this 50, but ever since the coaches' panels existed. You're injury-prone until you're not. Yeah, you're Jack Crisp until you're not, you know, you're there every week until you're not. That's just the way the game works. And that's the hard part about it is it's always the future. You're always guessing for the future. The past always informs us as best we can with numbers and analytics and everything we can try to harness. But at the end of the day, it's a game of football and stuff just happens. So, again, it's not what you want to hear. It definitely increases the risk profile, especially at that top dollar to know that, you know, he just has dealt with this in the past. We've seen, you know, Aaron Norton went for one of the biggest hangers ever and need him in the face. Like, that's footy. That, that's just how it happens. Uh, so it's not something that gives you confidence. You know it's a bit of a, a cloud hanging over there. But at the same time, all we can do is take the club's word and say that, you know, if he had to play a game tomorrow, he'd play. So- and
1: that's what they've come out and said. And I've said they've been really cautious. He is for the better part of two to three weeks now been in full contact training and and not being protected in any sense of it. The club have said if it was round one through January, we're playing him. We're just taking a cautious approach, getting his workload up, which is fine. So to me, if you're fading English purely because of that concussion concern, you're out for the year. If that's the only reason you're not starting him, you're out for the year because that concern will not go away. And statistically, the likelihood of concussion will only increase with each game. And so if you've ruled him out because oh, head knock, that's done. You've ruled him out for the year because that risk is not going away. If you're ruling him out for price, if you're ruling out for structure, you're ruling out for value, and those are your reasons, then I'm okay with you trading in.
0: And that's the funny thing, is in it, MJ, is when we, people have no interest in an injury-prone player until they come out and put up really good scores back-to-back, and then we go, you know what, no, I'm going to get them because they're in form, they present great value. So we do pick and choose, and there's obviously levels to going, you know what, it is worth the risk. And English is one of those guys, last year people had that concern. Now if you were fading him all year, it really, really hurt. This year it might be different. That's what makes the game so challenging is it's not just a copy and paste from the previous year. What about the contract, MJ? Because we know a lot of coaches love hearing that a player's out of contract. You know, they're going that extra mile, especially someone at Tim's age, Is that this is going to be the deal, isn't it? Whatever deal he gets at the end of the year, this is going to be the deal. It's not going to be one of those ones that we hear about, you know, where Zach Butters signs to free agency or, or these type of deals that we know is just, you know, Bailey Smith the same. That's just smart management. Get your yep. player to free agency, make up your mind, short-term deal, good money. Now, English is going to get a deal that's going to be the deal. This is going to be where he earns his big paycheck. He's earned it. Someone's going to come and make a play, whether that's the Bulldogs doing everything to keep him, whether that's a West Coast or someone elsewhere. He is an all Australian difference making player. How does that factor in, do you think?
1: Well, either way, he's going to make a packet. No no matter what, he is going to make an absolute packet. But that packet can have another one or two seasons added onto that. That can have another two, three, four hundred thousand on it with a dominant front half of the season you put yourself in these players situations for a second of going you know what based on this first three months of the year i can set my life up i i can become not just a nine hundred thousand dollar a year player i can become a 1.5 million dollar player a year clubs will pay for that because he's not just a good ruck he is great at everything around the ground as we spent time on so for me I don't know any AFL player that phones it in. I've I've never met one, never spoken to one, never spent time with one that doesn't go, I'm going to give my all. But there is something psychological about a contract year that for them and the environment, it is that I am going to show my value. I am going to take the game on. And a player of Tim's style, it's not dependent on others looping him into the game to do that. He's able to do that on his own. So for me, I think a contract year only aids the beneficiary of us going all in on him. Interestingly, as the season went on last year, his ceiling games happen more frequently. Now, is it causation or correlation? You judge. I think it's probably more a correlation, but it's interesting nonetheless. In the final seven weeks, he had three scores over 140 in AFL Fantasy. He only had six all season, three of them in that final seven. While in Supercoach, Three times all year, he went over 150. Two of them were in that seven-game stretch. So the narrative of improvement can be tied. Look, there's two things we do have to hit. We've spent a lot of time on Ting because I, I do think the fact that I've got him at number six in my 50 most relevant tells you I think he's incredibly important to discuss. There's a couple of things we haven't touched on the captaincy and vice-captaincy component and where that ties into the fixture, not just of matchups, but where they sit in a weekend. But then also they do have that round 15 buy. And so through these early weeks where we're looking for not just sealing of players, we're looking for availability of players to get through that first four weeks of early buys that are scattered between rounds two to six. And then what we've got in rounds 12, 13, and 14, English, if fit, is available the whole stretch. So don't downplay that. To you, is there a chance for someone that's not starting? Because that for some is enough reason. It's like, I'm taking the security blanket. I know he's a captain, vice captain offer every week and he's playing every week. I'm just not gonna fart. I'm just going for it. Okay, no problem. To you, is there a play where a Grundy who's at round five by or a Gorn who's around six by, you mentioned all five of these guys might be viable and valuable to us. Is it a potential play to run value in the ruck of Gorn, Grundy, Cherry and then start attacking at their buy, even if they've only had two or three price movements for us and getting in to the guys we think might be the set and forget rucks, including uh, not just a Marshall, but an English?
0: I think so. And again, the thing about obviously Gorn and Grundy that we've spoken about and will speak about at Nauseam is what do they do in round zero? We just haven't experienced that. We're going to have genuine points. We're going to know. We're going to be able to map out, okay, if they do this for the next couple, where's their price going to get to? So I think with those two having the later of the two early buys, you're going to be able to generate some cash, um, you know, depending, on, depending how hot their start is, we'll see what value they get to at that point and how much they've generated and how much they still have to make I think is really important. And then obviously you've got to couple that with, What's English done? Is he coming down in price? Is he flying off to the races? So I think it's something that could happen. We also do know that those first six weeks in particular, there's usually higher priorities than getting a bit tricksy and a bit fancy with your rucks and going, or even just generally with your super premium sort of players and going, I'm going to move this one to this one. If you're going to make those moves, you better be really confident that player you're bringing in is about to really tee off about to go on a 130, 140, 150 sort of stretch for three weeks and you can cash in big time because with all the rookies, with the rookies that get dropped and new rookies that come in, we know that first month there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Now, maybe that's mitigated a little bit by round zero and getting a free look at a bunch of players. Who knows? But I think it's something you might have to consider. Having the last buy for English, is interesting, isn't it, MJ? Because once you start getting past around eight, round nine, you're going to be looking going, well, he's got a buy in the next six, you know, weeks. six seven yeah. weeks. And then uh, do I really want him after that buy? That's very, very late in the season. And we, we saw last year, especially with the boosts in a super coach format, how quickly teams were upgraded. Now, whether they were the final iteration, but they were pretty much full premium by the start of the buys, which mm. is really really incredible now how will that change with a round zero will that help with the extra trades help even further um, it's something you've definitely got to think about and something that I think does help English that it is the last of the buys and you're going you know what it gets really hard after that whereas if it's the early buy you know it's our old thing isn't it do we have someone we can run to the final buy and then trade them in off their buy so we don't have that luxury with English he is the last buy. But it just complicates this situation even further, MJ, as we try to map out what do we want to do and when do we want to do it.
1: If you're starting Tim English, structurally that changes your team. It gives you security in your team. It gives you options of how you can take on those mid-price forwards. Does locking in a Tim English, for example, alongside a Gorn, a Grundy, a Cherry, gosh, even a Rowan Marshall, if you'd like, although statistically based on ownership, I think it's a really low combination that's going a English and Marshall set and forget. Statistically, I think that's a low volume of coaches across the formats. Doing that, it allows you to maybe take some punts on that forward line. If you don't like any of the forwards, we've now talked about all the forwards through the 50 most relevant. They've all been there. If you're not sold on a McRae or a Flanders, you're not sure what a Rochelle or an Adams or a Connor McDonald. These are just some of the names we've talked about. A Zach Fisher, you're still not sure. With that injury history, At Elijah Sardis or Fife, is he getting that mid-time, is he not? Harms, what's happening? Billings, what's happening? These are just some of the names. All of a sudden, you can lock a spot up and go, I am going to focus my start of the year on making sure I, A, if I've missed a cow, I can get it. B, if there's a mid-pricer in another line that's firing in my mids or a defensive line, I can get it. Or I can just flip these forwards that I don't like into one that will work for me for two to three weeks. So, so English is really, really valuable. He might not be financially valuable to you in terms of the dollars it makes or saves you, but in terms of the freedom and pathway it creates for you. And then the other thing he is, is pretty much every week, bulletproof in matchups. Yes, there are rucks that we do see struggle to score well. Fremantle have historically been a hard matchup with the multiple ruck options. Jared Witts has historically been a hard matchup. He does have them early on in the year. And Max Gorn against him at times has been a hard matchup. But as you mentioned before, Kane, his ability to score in all facets of the game means even if he's losing at hitouts, he'll pick up that scoring in elsewhere. Is there anything, because he is a vice captain or captaincy option, is there anything in the fixture based on who they play or where in a weekend they play that gives us an opportunity to to lean into that vice captaincy or captaincy consideration with him?
0: Well, I think, MJ, the stuff that jumps out to me is obviously round one's usually a challenge, isn't it? Because you don't often have a donut or a loophole player. So that one's a bit tricky. But the ones you do have to like is that rounds two and three, it's a Sunday we're going to probably have some blue dots with those teams that are on a buy. Round four is gather round. So, again, do you have a loophole by then? He plays Geelong on a Saturday night. So, you know, he's likely going to be your captaincy option there. And you can throw a VC earlier in the week. And then in round five and six, it's a captaincy, it's a Friday and a Thursday. So, again, in those early buy rounds, the first four cracks that are in two, three, five, and six. He's in a perfect position where he can either be your anchor captaincy if your vice captain fails or you get get your round off to a really nice start on a Thursday and Friday with that VC and you're away. So I think it's tricky, isn't it, you know, for a guy that's not really match up, you know, how do we know we're using old data? Often that sort of opponent data, we start feeling confident in about six or seven weeks in because we know all it takes is one player to go really insane, especially in the rucks. And it can maybe skew things a little bit differently. So, there's nothing really there, MJ, that worries me with English. You don't feel like you go avoid this one, target this one with him. He's just he's just a scorer, and over the course of a season, it all sort of comes out in the wash. And um, last year, that wash was absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah. The rucks fascinate me this year and I love it. There is so much strategy that we can play. And I think that's great. It only makes the game better and more dynamic and more interesting when it's not polite. The last year it was pick English, pick Marshall, and we all have them. Now there are at least five already that I think are viable structural and strategic plays, let alone what happens during the season when a Briggs type pops up, when an injury type pops up. And now you can do what we've done previous years, like a, this is a, callback but sam jacob gets injured you can field a riley o'brien as a rookie a darcy cameron gets the opportunity and a ruck forward pops for us so the rucks fascinate me i'll listen to anyone that wants to talk about any of those five to me as their starting lineup and my answer will be looks good to me draft is different draft is interesting there's probably only a couple of guys across the formats kane that i think could wait lay claim to being a genuine First pick off the board. Tim English sits in that space. If you've got to pick politely anywhere from, gosh, maybe even the third overall pick, definitely by the fourth, don't even think about him. If you're in that middle of the back half of the draft, he's not getting anywhere near you. So I guess the question is, we know leagues are different, sizes are different, variables are different. All those variables can come. But is Tim English a consensus number one First off the board pick for you, or is there at least one or two others that could take that spot?
0: There's definitely one that would be ahead of him. I think once you get to two, you can start having a conversation. That's where I've probably got it. Now he's probably three for me. If I had to do a draft tomorrow, I would have I would have Nick Dacos off the board first. Then I'm probably wrestling with a Bontempi and an English again. Bontempi is just so consistent, so durable just so good across both formats you just don't have any worries dacos is already a generational player with back status i just think that's such a huge separator and then you're in the conversation with english now the format to format we usually go sort of one for one with what a midfielder and a ruckman scores and and usually about plus 10 depending on the year for backs and forwards so you work out where you've got those guys and see who's really in consideration but i think you know he's fighting out with the Lairds, the Brayshaws, the Petrarkas, you know, Thanks. the Tom Greens. There's there's so many good guys that are going to be fighting for that sort of one fifteen range in AFL fantasy and one twenty range in super coach. Um hard to go against English though, MJ, especially with we know having that ruck locked away. Sometimes there's a big peace of mind factor. So for me, as we state as we say today, he's probably third off the board. Again, after that, you probably feel like you're really fortunate to get him.
1: Yeah, if if he's still there and your fourth pick overall and English is still sitting on the board, just go. Absolutely lock that one away. Getting a ruck at the top end to me is really important this year. If you want it, you've got to pay up for it early. Otherwise, you're fading till super late and you're probably happy to take a 90s guy in super coach and a high 80s guy in AFL fantasy and dream team, which is fine. As long as you know, that's what I'm choosing with the rest of my picks. Hey, mate, as always, an absolute pleasure talking with you during the 50 Most Relevant. wonder if we'll see you again. I'm not too sure, but thanks for being on yet again and talking about a really fascinating player.
0: Pleasure, MJ. You nearly done it. You nearly done another year of this. You're unbelievable. 50 oh. days. I'm very excited for the last few.
1: I'm not sure who's more excited, people that are listening to this that don't hear my voice every day or my wife that will see me again. I'm still not too sure who's most excited about it. I'm not too sure. But if you want to go read the article, it's online for you now at coachespanel.tv. If you're only just getting seriously into your AFL fantasy and supercoach and dream team preseason and just catching up on the 50, lucky you. You get to go back and experience the 50 for the first time. It's like meeting someone that's never watched The Office before. It's like, awesome. You get the best thing in life now. You get to relive something that I have. So you can go back and check that out. If you haven't subscribed to it, wherever you get your podcasts from, the Coaches Panel is there. Just simply search for us, find us, and give it a five-star rating. We greatly appreciate your support. And just that small, simple click does make such a significant difference. Or you can also jump over on YouTube. We've started putting these episodes and other content pieces and strategy episodes and Q&As up on YouTube. It's first venture into it for us in the 2024 pre-season. Getting close to the thousand subscribers, so we might need to come up with a prize for the thousandth subscriber. Maybe we should do that. So if you're not already, jump in. We'd love to have you on there and turn those notification bell on so that as soon as a video goes live. You get to see it. And if you are watching this on YouTube, comment below with what you think Tim English is going to average in 2024. In the description of this episode, it's got where you can keep in touch with all the members of the coaches panel across all social media formats, as well as you can become a part of our Patreon supporter group. There is a ton of great additional rewards they get in season and pre-season, podcasts, articles, uh, interaction and opportunities with the community, uh, as well as some hidden group content conversation spaces you can get involved our rookie guide that is incredibly comprehensive you get that as well as a ton of stuff during the season the links to become part of our patreon are in the description of this episode wow top five left to go let's be honest the top 10 you shouldn't have been surprised by the names left the top five the order might surprise you but the names definitely shouldn't So who's in next? Well, tomorrow, we're talking about one of the most consistent, one of the most durable, and one of the most friendly premium midfielders. What they offer to not only their team, but to fantasy coaches, is one of the greatest builds we could imagine from a premium midfielder. Year upon year, they have shown us That Their ability to reach the 100 marker is almost easy for them. They've shown this ability year on year to be right up towards the top of the tree. They've long shed the DPP that they had, but they are premium elite midfielders. And they're not someone that's going to hurt us over those first six weeks with any buys or any blockouts. They're rolling through. So he's a captaincy option. Brilliant, brilliant in every line and area, scores in every column, and has a phenomenal ceiling. That could be a couple of them. So who's tomorrow? You'll find out in the 50 Most Relevant.